0: Welcome to episode 137 with uh, my guest Aisha Tyler, recorded uh, live at LA PodFest a couple of weeks ago. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, uh, 90 minutes or eh, closer to two hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, sexual shame, uh, to just everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Website for this show is mentalpod.com. Please go check it out. All kinds of good stuff there. A forum, uh, blogs. Um, you can support the show there. Um, and I'm going to be shortly, I'm going to be posting some more information about the upcoming live show I'm, I'm going to be doing in um, Toronto. I'm going to be doing a a live show on the the afternoon of saturday november 16th and uh, my guest is going to be scott thompson from kids in the hall so i'm really excited to uh get to sit down and talk to him and uh and see you guys i just love doing live shows um and i want to welcome also i know that itunes is uh featuring our podcast on their homepage this week so i know we've probably um excuse me got some new listeners checking the show out and um I would say the only way that the, that today's show is a little bit different from the other shows that we do is it's a little more rollicking and, and, a, and a little more comedic. Um, so um, if if this is the first show you listen to, um, uh, I just don't want you to be disappointed if you listen to other ones expecting this kind of level of uh, bang, bang, bang uh, comedy. So um, just thought I'd throw that that out there to you. Um, oh, got another cutting board to raffle off. It's uh, beautifully imperfect. Some of the things don't line up. And as much as I wanted to cut it up and start over, I was like, you know what? Let's just put it out there. It's beautiful and it's imperfection. and I think the whoever the the listener is that wins it in the uh, in the raffle will enjoy the imperfection of it. And um, so, uh, as I've mentioned the rules before for it, um, uh, I've picked a number between 1 and 500, and uh, go ahead and give us a guess. If you're a, a monthly donor, and you, the number of guesses you get is, uh, um, per whatever $5 increment you are a monthly donor, that's how many guesses you get. So if Five dollars a month, you get one guest. Ten dollars a month, you get two. Uh, And if you're a transcriber, however many episodes you've completed transcribing, you get uh, one guest per per episode. Um, Mail them to me at at mentalpod@gmail.com. There's a picture of the cutting board on my Facebook page and on the website uh, mentalpod.com. And uh, I think that's it. It's um, oh, and the deadline for sending me your guests is um, next Wednesday. uh, Wednesday. October 23rd, uh, noon, Pacific Standard Time. All right. I think that's been it. I wanted to read, um, before we get to the uh, episode with Aisha, and I had so much fun doing it. Um, What a great guest. I just want to read a couple of from the Struggle in a Sentence survey. That's the other thing I wanted to mention to the new listeners. There's all kinds of surveys on the website that you can um, take which helps me get to know you, and you can see how other people respond. And um, regular listeners know that it can be quite um, illuminating seeing um, what other people think and feel and how they express it. All right. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by Mary uh, about her depression. She writes, I feel like the color gray. About her anxiety, she says, I feel like I am alone in a deep hole staring upwards, miles away from the old me and everyone else. I am so afraid I'll never get out. About her OCD, she writes, Did I? Yes, you did. Do not check again. Oh, fuck. I'm checking again. Are you serious right now? Uh, About living with an abuser, she writes, Always wondering where I can hide and how long I can hide before I am judged for hiding. Thank you for sharing those, uh, those, Mary. This is a same survey filled out by Gabby about her anorexia. She writes, It's like a horror movie where everything feels suburban and perfect, and only very occasionally you see a flash of what you truly look like in the mirror, and a skull stares back. Wow, that is heavy. Um, About her internet abuse, uh, her compulsive internet abuse, uh, she writes, like I have no body, like I don't exist, like everything else is the distraction. Um, Thank you for that. Um, Same uh, survey filled out by... um, kelly uh about her anxiety she writes shots of pure paranoia and about her borderline personality disorder she writes it makes you an empty person suit at the end of the day hung up in the closet with no one to fill it thank you for that we don't get a lot of people um sharing about what it feels like to have borderline personality disorder so i encourage any of you out there that uh, that do live with that to uh, help us understand it more, help us understand what you're going through, um, what it feels like. Same survey filled out by, um, I think these are all women that filled out these, God bless you gals. There's some other term that's even more dated than gals. This is filled out by Pippi, and about her anxiety, she writes, inside me uh, it's like I have a large frightened bird Constantly and frantically fluttering, trapped in my rib, rib cage. About her PTSD, she writes, Like I am in the particles of air, and it is safer there than on the ground. Um, and she puts disassociation in parentheses. Um, and finally, about her ADD, she writes, I am constantly trying to throw rocks up in the sky in the hope that one will stick and become a star. I am surrounded by rubble, but ever hopeful and desperate that the next time it will work. I'm scared to stop throwing the rocks up and wishing because I'm scared to stop throwing the rocks up and wishing because I don't know how else to be and if I stop I will see how few stars I have and how many rocks are at my feet Thank you so much for coming to uh, to be a part of this. I'm so I'm so excited and so bitter that it has to be in this hotel. I, I actually the the people the staff here have been fucking amazing, so nice when you can find one of them. It has. When I walked in, I thought that it was a Halloween theme that there was uh, cobwebs at the concierge desk, but I had no idea. It. It, it, did any of you guys go to the reception? The uh, yeah. Did you enjoy the Auschwitz burger? <laughs> it was. I actually, when I opened it up, I, I just it, instinctively I looked up for a guard tower, and I, <laughs> and I and I and I didn't see one. So then I went to the the restaurant off the bar, and I think it took like twenty minutes for somebody to come, and they did come, and I ordered a hamburger, and it arrived an hour later. Uh, Cold and overcooked but I was like you know what Uh, you're here you know you're going to have a fun show stop being a fucking whining privileged white guy (laughs) and then I remember that I'm paying $500 for a room and I was like I'm going to take somebody's fucking head off I missed the rate. I missed the window of getting the rate. And I was like, you know what? Just spend the money. It'll it'll be awesome to have a room and you record listeners and I and I have been, and it's been really, really great. Um because meeting you guys face to face has been has just been so awesome. And like I said, the, the you know, the staff has has been so nice here. That there was this lady I was looking around trying to find a place to buy tea the other day and um, I think it was yesterday, and this woman saw that I was looking for something. She said, can I help you? So I'm just trying to find a place to buy tea. And she's like, oh, I will go get you tea. I was like, wow, that's awesome. So she went, she got me tea, and she's like, no, 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 no money. It's, you know, my pleasure. And, and then she did it, like, an hour later. She said, you know, can I get you anything again? And I said, actually, I would love another tea. So she went to, like, another floor and got a tea, and she said, can I, can I get you anything else? And so, cut two. she's washing my feet. <laughs> and i said my burger was overcooked and i kicked her in the face <laughs> actually i kicked i kicked her in the chest cuz it doesn't bruise as much and you can't be prosecuted <laughs> but i but i uh, i was like you were so sweet and um and i i just wanted to to meet the manager here because clearly it's it's a budgetary thing it's not that the people are incompetent it's just like i i don't know if you know but the hotel was sold so i think the the people that Owned it, must be still paying the bills, and they're like, "Well, fuck those people!" You know, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna save money, and uh, sure enough, I'm sitting in the lobby hoping to get recognized and um, <laughs> feeling better that nobody has, and uh, and no, I was actually I was, I was waiting for for somebody, and um, and this pregnant lady has uh, a cup of ice and a, and a newborn, and. Um, or not a new, that would be impossible, pregnant and a newborn. And um, she had a baby, she wasn't pregnant. And I, I wanted to impregnate her, that was it. And um, she spills this cup of ice all over the floor by the elevator, and uh, my instinct was to get up, but I thought it'd be better to just watch this and see what happens. And so they come and clean it up, and the manager is there, and the manager comes up to me and says, You know, how has your stay been? And I was like, Finally, I can fucking unload. And I said, everything is awesome. (laughs) And then I hated myself, and now I'm here. Uh, at, the, at the end of the show, if we have time, uh, uh, Aisha is going to do some fears and loves, and I would love for her to exchange them with you guys. That's why we have the mic here. So um, if you are feeling bold enough, uh, maybe think of some that, that you would like to share. And uh, like I said, if there's time, we'll, we'll do that at the end. But let's get to it. You know, I could list all her, her credits, but I know she's not that kind of person. Um, let's get her up here, Aisha Tyler we we got to know each other a little bit. We did the panel at uh, WTF the other night and I was like I, I can't i couldn't wait for this to to happen because um, I e- I emailed her and I said this really has no place to go but down.
2: Yeah, it's really we've already we peaked on Friday. Sorry for you
0: guys, but yeah, we did. And um, I'm I'm not going to say the things that. I know about you because I know that that irks you. I listened to your most <laughs> recent episode of your podcast, and I was like, "That's perfect" because I'm lazy about doing uh, research well, right, so for people. So this, it's this like is a very
2: elaborate excuse for why I don't
0: do research on my guests. This is a win-win. But I did look at your Wikipedia page and got instantly bitter <laughs> at how long it was, and then I saw you were in the Santa Claus Three, and I felt better.
2: Yes, please do. I have please no idea. Peruse my IMDb page and make yourself feel much better about your own choices. Absolutely.
0: Actually, was it a, was it a good movie? Was it okay? No, I
2: I don't know. I mean, uh, we, were, we were talking about this the other night. I enjoyed making it. Yeah. The, I got offered the, uh, the Santa Claus 2 when I was on Talk Soup. I'd never done a movie before, uh, it was a big fucking deal you know Disney and Tim Allen and I got to get dressed up and uh, like kids puked on me and stuff it was a great time and then I got a check at the end ladies and gentlemen and I I never put a penis to my lips that I didn't want to put to my lips so in my yeah no it was great and then you know then the third one I'll tell you what every Christmas when it runs ad nauseum on cable thousands of people go on Facebook and go I love that movie and I watch it with my kids and it brings me a lot of joy and I really that's pretty much why I got into this business that and the coke and the whores so I've Hit all of my touch points. I feel very good about that.
0: Where would be a good place to to start with your story? You were you were raised. Uh In Pittsburgh. What was your. No, I was raised.
2: My father's from Pittsburgh. I was raised in San Francisco, California. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. You've made good on your promise that you did (laughs) not.
0: And we'll continue throughout the interview. Oh, it's lovely. Um, So you're white?
2: Uh, Yes. Can you hear it in my voice, the the, the tinge, the accent? Um, No, my dad is from Pittsburgh and uh, grew up. Uh, LA, he was born in the 50s and you know it was a good time for black people and uh, <laughs> real, super great if you're a poor black man always get the 50s
0: I like to call it the uppity years
2: yes yes <laughs> hey get back there where I put you there um, uh, and his father died um, in, uh, in in service military service during World War II so he was raised by a single mom and four sisters and you know um, very few opportunities it, kind of a rough and tumble childhood and Made it to eighth grade. That was that's his the last. That was the end of his formal education. Um, and uh, and my dad is like, fucking awesome. You know, he just uh, had nothing, and it, it can make. He's just like a magician. Like my father can make anything. Like if you gave him a turd, he'd be like, I've built you a house. Like he just, <laughs> he's incredible. And you know, out of necessity, he became that person. So. Um, you know, he grew up, and he worked a lot of different jobs, and he met my mom and knocked her up, and uh, then he had to get his shit together, um, which he never did, even though he had to. He never did it, but he worked. He was like a construction worker, and he was a deep sea fisherman, and he was a butcher, and he was. A, and then he, um, he worked in construction. And then when I was in high school, he wanted to become an operating engineer, which is um, – you know, the guys that operate the cranes and the really, like, tech not just heavy machinery, but technical machinery. Um, And you had to know a lot of math and geometry for that because you had to know, like, what your boom load was so that you didn't break this, like, million-dollar crane. And my dad had never had any advanced math. And so there was, like, a big part of my uh, time in high school where I had to help my dad with his homework, and um, and, uh, which was really intense, right? Because your dad is, like, a badass, like, your whole childhood, right? He's like, and my dad looks like Action Jackson, and I'm not fucking with you.
0: (laughs) He rode a motorcycle. Like, yes,
2: he rode a motorcycle. My Handlebar just, mustache. A, a giant, like, beefy mustache that concealed weapons. And, um, <laughs> and, and you know, and he would pull up and people would just be like, oh, my God, when is the next fight with Rocky? You know, when he would get <laughs> off his bike. And, um, and so for my dad to be, like, in tears over his math homework and having his, like, 15-year-old daughter help him was, like, a, like a really formative time in my life because most of the time he was threatening to to beat me to a paste. So uh, he was not a violent guy, but the threats were, they were fast and furious, right? He's like, I will yes. fuck you up. You know, he meant it. I no, never, actually, he never did fuck me up, but I heard it a lot.
0: And, and you, you mentioned that he never got his shit together. in in what he way? He did. No, yeah. you know,
2: I don't know. He just, like, I, my dad was my podcast, was a, was a guest on my show. He was my first Christmas show. And I got to, you know, your parents aren't people, right? They're not, right? They're not people, right? They're just these these yeah these wraiths that float through and frustrate you or walking when you're fucking your boyfriend stuff like that <laughs> that did not happen and then oh yes my father's favorite comment is I came in on you in a downstroke that's his favorite thing to say about me uh high school and um and so but uh, father's got really great ideas about what's appropriate and boundaries and stuff and um And so, like, to sit down and ask my dad about what it was like to be a single father and what it was like to be a single black father and, you know... My parents divorced when I was 10, and they just each took one of us. Like, I have a younger sister, and my dad took me, and my mom took my sister. And there was no, like, divorce court or fighting over shit because we didn't have any shit. That's a white people thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, fighting over who's going to get the house and who's going to have weekends, right? My, they were like, my father was like, which one can wash and feed itself? And that was how
0: How how did out. How did they decide who was going to?
2: That, was really, that, was, really that was really it. That was really it. Like, my mom took the little one. The one that yeah. was still kind of like you know needed a mom and, and how did how did me. you
0: feel? Did you want to be with your mom? Um,
2: oh God, it's funny because I want to be like I was bruised, but I wasn't. You know, I I was really a pragmatic kid, and I could see my parents had tried to stay together. They had tried, they had broken up, and tried like a bunch of times, and I could see they weren't happy. And I was like, oh, this is how shit goes down. My I my dad and my mom, but especially my dad is like a no whining father, you know, and. It, it, his that like philosophy like infuses my whole life now like he was just like Shit is fucked up
0: move the fuck on
2: you know and which just, is like, terrible
0: in a birthday card It's it,
2: oh, yes very or like when he when it comes three eight days late and It's like sorry. I didn't show up move the fuck on you know um, But like yeah, like I broke my arm once at summer camp and my dad made me ride my bike back from summer camp He didn't believe it was broken and uh, and I think like three or four days later, he took me to the hospital when it like started turning like green and stuff like that. He was just like a dad that was like, you know, like shit's fucked up. You know what I mean? Like you can sit here and cry about it. The world is a fucking terrible place. My mom, your mom, and I fucked and made you, and now you have to deal with it. You know what I mean? And what did that, that what, was what did that
0: feel like as a as a little girl?
2: Like you know, it's funny because I I remember like I only remember being frustrated or angry with my father, like legitimately angry with him just twice. Once when I was like a little kid, maybe eight, and he didn't show up for a birthday party. And then, and I like cried, you know, because kids fucking cry, right? And then another time when I was in high school, and what I realized then was that was like a separation moment, like, you know, my, I have a really good friend who's got a teenage son and they were fighting and the son wasn't speaking to him. And I said, like, essentially, you feel like you're being rejected, but every single kid does this to their parent right now right which is like i gotta break all the strings i gotta break from you so my father and i were very close and then all of a sudden we weren't close anymore and we were screaming at each other which we had never done and he wanted me to go to an Ivy League school, and I wanted to go to UC Santa Cruz, and he was totally fucking right. I don't know what the fuck I was trying to say. Like, I don't want to be smart. I want to smoke pot. You know, like I'll fucking pound you to a pace. That was like his response to everything. Um, and then he made me sell my like German sports car, and so for like six months we didn't speak. You know, and then
0: why did he make you sell your car? Because he
2: was he wanted to get laid, and it was taking up space in the garage. You know what I mean? I mean, like that's it. Like there's nothing magical about it. He's like, you're 18. Get the fuck out. Take your shit with you. You know what I mean? And and I remember being so mad at him then but that is a legitimate feeling to have as an adult. I raised you, all your limbs are intact, go to college and take your shit with you so I can do all the fucking I wasn't doing while you were in the house. Uh, let and me I just I don't, present that. That's how I would feel if I had an 18-year-old. Me, Get out.
0: But let me just play devil's advocate for a second. Isn't it normal for a kid to expect a place to come home? from school at least until you've graduated Kinda. i mean that feels harsh to me
2: kind of um the world is harsh you know the world is a tough place what he want it's interesting cuz so when i i did this podcast with him like and then i wrote a book recently and a big part of it is about like not intentionally but just because i have no other choice about like how he raised me and what i understand now was a philosophical approach it just felt very haphazard and mean at the time which was um, like when you're a, f- a parent, but especially when you're a father, and you have a little girl, just imagine that the father is like a big, strong, like like the rock, but with spikes. And then the only soft part of his body is just his hands. And then you are a little puffball of a kitten in his hands. And he's this big brute, and he's afraid he's going to squeeze you too tight and pop you like a balloon. And then he's surrounded by lava and open holes and murderers and rapists and motorcycles with people who aren't wearing helmets. And, you know, and, and MRSA. The kitten is going to get MRSA. And you are, you have two things you can do. Either You can just hold this kitten in your hand until... She's too big for your hands, and you've crushed her spirit. Or you can teach her how to navigate all the lava and the holes and the motorcycles and the MRSA And his idea was, I'm going to raise, I'm going to make this kitten into a fucking beast, because I can't be here forever. So it's going to be, I'm going to throw her in the water and and get her to fucking let her figure out how to swim back because I can't be there for her forever, and I'm terrified. So I think that fear came off as like meanness when I'd be like, Dad there's a party, and all the white kids' parents are driving them there, and why won't you drive me there? And he's like, because you have a bus pass and a fucking brain, you know what I mean? And also the game is on, you know what I mean? But he, he was like, he was like, "You got, I, I can't do this for you, and I won't do it for you, because that would be a disservice. So he just raised this, like, wildly independent person, probably moderately emotionally closed off, and, um, <laughs> and but I understand it now. And I, I don't know that I thought that my dad... I thought he could be mean. I thought he had the capacity for being mean. But I do realize now that he, like, and I remember when I asked him on my podcast, I said, like, what was it like being a, a single father? And he said, this literally, these, it was fucking terrifying. Those were the first words out of his mouth. I was fucking terrified every minute of every day. Wow. And I, I, you know, I don't know what it's like for people out there who are parents. I think if you're in a unit, you know, whatever unit you're in, you have someone else that kind of like lifts half of your fears for you. But if you're alone, no matter who you are, but I think especially if you're a man who was born in the 50s and you're a, a black man and everyone's telling you you're going to fail, you know, that is just, like, paralyzingly
0: frightful. What did, what did it feel like when you heard him say that? Did, did you know that that was no, his I experience? I'm my,
2: like I said, my dad is like Black Mothra, right? To me, he's yeah. just... He's a superhero, you know, and I never think of him of being afraid, and I never thought of him as... He told another story about...
0: But what did you think or feel when you heard him say that on your podcast? I
2: don't, I don't know that I was shocked. Well, I was. I was surprised that it humanized him for me. He had told me another story that I think was the first inkling that he was human was he said when maybe I was like 11 or 12, uh, like, we didn't have a lot of money, and he went... He had like maybe $10... And that was like all the money he had. And he went to the store to get food for me and he lost the $10. And he was just talking about how scary that was, like running through the store trying to find this money, the only money he had to like get food for me. And he was in tears. My father never cries. My father doesn't have feelings. And um, he was a very attractive black robot. And, uh, and you know, running through the supermarket like in tears. And like then a, like one of the checkout women helped him and they like made an announcement and then and then they finally found the $10 and how relieved he was you know and he had told me that story once like at a holiday and I thought okay so all the times that you know I was seeing him as this kind of monolith you know he was this human being who was just trying to like figure it out um and yeah just you know it just when I left school and I was when I left high school and I was to go to college and I was so furious with him like for six months I didn't talk to him at all and then uh, how'd you pay for college Oh, sexual favors, really. <laughs> uh, I borrowed, I borrowed, I borrowed, I borrowed a mortgage, you know. And um, my dad gave me like some spending money, but you know, nothing, my family doesn't have any money. So I borrowed it all. But um,
0: Did you have to work when you yeah, were in college? Yeah, I worked.
2: I, started, I I think I had my first job when I was like six. Uh, no, I,
0: I I'm serious. while you were at
2: college. I worked from like the time I was six until now. So I've always had a job, but yeah, all through college I had a job.
0: I I have so much respect for people that hold down jobs when they're in college. I could barely get through college without having to work.
2: If you had had a job in college, you would have been able to embezzle so much food. That was your problem. You don't understand all the auxiliary things that are available to you when you work in a cafeteria. Just unlimited waffles and chicken wings. I was a pimp.
0: Actually, I was a waiter for three months at uh, at a bar when I was a senior and then one afternoon my girlfriend said don't go to work let's fuck and I was yeah, like fuck my well, job
2: yeah seriously if you ever yeah. want to just derail a man be like pussy yeah. but it,
0: yeah. it was it was a strain yeah it's hard uh, d- it was hard doing to those do. both at yeah, the same time yeah. and you went to Dartmouth which I know you wouldn't say so I will say oh, it oh
2: yeah some of you here go to Dartmouth or just
0: yeah. rock and roll
2: Yes. The most racist and drunk of the Ivies. Hooray! Nah, 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 nah. Go Big Green.
0: <laughs> but you know, I I look at you and I and I you're a bit of an enigma because I she's she's smart, she's pretty, she's funny, that, which is usually in, indicative indicative of some type of emptiness <laughs> that, that, <there's, laughs> that 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 is for somebody that has pushed themselves that far, you know some type of unfulfilled need to work on your personality that hard when you could have coasted by by being tall and and pretty oh,
2: coasting is repulsive, I find coasting repulsive,
0: and do you feel like that was instilled in you from your the work ethic of your dad? absolutely,
2: absolutely. you know, my father was just someone who just like coasting was unacceptable you know and 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 laziness was unacceptable and and, you know, it's probably, uh, like, a crippling feature of my personality now, but I just believe so deeply in industry. I believe in it probably more than anything else. I feel like I don't understand – we were talking about this the other day on, on Mark's show. show and by, not, I'm not referring to you on Mark, but, like, by extension, I don't understand people who complain about things not going their way when they don't do anything. I have just no fucking patience for – This business is especially full of people who think that they haven't been given their just desserts. And then you ask them what they've done, and they're waiting for someone to fucking, you know, they're waiting for Randy Jackson to knock on the door and go, Yo Dog, wanna be famous? Like, fuck you, that is never gonna happen, because Randy stopped saying Yo Dog a long time ago. So, (laughs) I just, I just, and the fact of the matter is that industry may not, like hard work may not turn out the way that you want it to. It's entirely, the world is terribly unfair, terribly unfair. That's just the nature of being alive. But what hard work does is it imbues your life with value. And so even if you never get to where you want to go, every single day is filled with value because you're doing something that you love. And so when people come to me and go, like, I want to be in the business and I want to be famous, I go, well, first of all, if you want to be famous, leave now and get a real job because it's not going to happen. Um, But if you love art and you love making art, regardless of whether you ever become famous, your entire life will be a joy to you. So there's a million things I do every day that no one's ever going to see that I'm thrilled by. Um, I'd like for people to see them, but they may Can not. Give me some examples. I do. I write a lot of stuff that's never probably going to be produced. And um, What format? Uh, like, I've you know, just written, you know, hot grips of sc- handfuls of screenplays, you know. Um, but I also wrote, wrote a lot of stuff and no one was going to make it. So then I just started making it myself, you know, which is, I think, the nature of the podcasting you know, world also, which is just... You know, people, I think people see me now and they're like, why do you waste your time on a podcast? But when I started my podcast, I didn't have a job. Um, And so, or I had one job that didn't pay very much. And so I was like, you know, I want to make something that's mine. So even if I had three jobs, I wanted something that was mine because nothing in the entertainment business is ever truly yours. Right. And my podcast is entirely mine. I don't have an engineer, I don't have a producer. I make it myself. I built my website, I upload it and conform it. And I do everything my, yeah, I'm a deck. (laughs) I probably sh- I'm a control freak too. I should probably give it to somebody else to do. I'd be happier. But um well, I would. Do you frequently feel overwhelmed by the yes, amount of shit you put on your plate? Absolutely. How do you How do you deal with that? I like it. It's like it's like it's like psychological cutting. <laughs> I realized that just now when I said that out loud. Yeah. That's What it is? Yeah. I like that feeling of. That's pretty of, profound. Of, 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 of panic. It's that's yeah my, that's yeah that's, that's like my great motivator. Cutting. Yeah. Totally.
0: When does the panic become overwhelming? Give me some instances where it becomes unmanageable. Does it become unmanageable?
2: No, because I've learned to manage it. You know, I'm like a high-functioning alcoholic, right? I get up every day and I get it done. And I finally hired an assistant, which was like the 1% of extra work that made things not always be in panic mode. Uh, And some things don't get done, which is, or they get done eventually, not maybe on the schedule I'd like, but everything always gets done.
0: When something doesn't get done, what's the voice in your head?
2: No, I'm a terrible person. Yeah, but I think that every
0: day. Yes. Do you really? Yes, totally. What do you think is terrible about yourself?
2: Oh, I wish I gave more money to charity. I wish I volunteered more. I wish I was skinnier. I wish I was smarter. I wish I'd invented a a killer app. I really wish I'd invented a killer app. You know what I mean? All these fucking douchebags running around, they're like billionaires. And I'm like, I
0: could fucking think of an app. Why haven't I thought of an app yet? Fuck. Every day I think Can you write code? Uh, No, I can't write code. Well, then get off your fucking ass and stop feeling sorry for yourself.
2: (laughs) Oh, I like that. That was really, that felt good. That felt really good. Oh, thanks for making the voices in my head real. That was nice. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> we, you know, we had a moment on uh, on WTF where we both um, looked at each other after sharing our morning panic.
2: Yes, the morning panic.
0: And but we handle it in com- completely different but, but ways. We have exactly
2: the same set of thoughts, right? Yeah. Which is like, I slept I've, too
0: late. I'm a lazy piece of shit. The world is passing me by.
2: That's it. Every day, that's what I think. And
0: when then the stomach tightens morning. a bit.
2: Oh, you feel a little puky. Little dread. Oh God, I'm going to die today, and all my dreams will have been for naught.
0: What do you, but then you get out of bed and I go, the answer is sleep <laughs>
2: <laughs> sweet, yeah, skitter, sweet sleep I skitter in a like in a in a panic to my computer and I try to figure out what what to do yeah
0: what what is it um when that when that panic hits you um what is the the fear that you're gonna fall behind? what is meant to be for you? It's
2: less pregnant. Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's that. You know, I just... Oh, God, this, this is really like an ego-driven aspect of looking at your life, right? Like, I want to be relevant. I want to have done something. I feel like that's really egotistical and fatuous. But...
0: But so human.
2: But human. But very human, right? And I don't have children, so my legacy is going to have to be a bunch of shit I made on my computer. You know what I mean? Like, that's... <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I'm going to leave behind. A bunch of shit on YouTube because I'm not going to have a progeny. So... um so yeah, I do feel like it's like I, I feel like, you know, if you wanna make it really like big and, and existential, life is precious and I've been given these gifts and one of them is self awareness and awareness of my abilities and awareness of my shortcomings. And if I'm not living up to the best of my abilities, I'm not I'm not respecting this gift that I've been given, you know? And um and Also, you know, again, to maybe even draw it back to podcasting, when I started making my show, I just wanted to make a little show and talk to my friends. And I know this has happened to you unexpectedly, unanticipatedly, and a little embarrassingly, people write you and go, you got me through a divorce. You helped me when I was considering suicide. I had a guy write and say, your show was the last thing my mother and I listened to before she died of cancer. Wow. You know, and then people say
0: that to You killed her. And you
2: feel, I did, thank you. You feel a responsibility then. You know, yeah. you feel a real responsibility to try to be better.
0: What does that connection feel like to you, though?
2: Um, God, just, I don't know the answer to that question, you know, I, because it wasn't a, like a mantle I wanted to take up. So I feel grateful. But, I feel grateful. Yeah. A lot of, I feel a lot of gratitude that, that, that I bring anything of value into anybody's life. At all, and I don't expect it, and I don't. I don't think I'm going to help people, um, but I'm very grateful that I do. You know what I mean? And then again, once you've created that bond, you have to service it. I think it's. It feels a little selfish to walk away from it. I mean, I will fuck my podcast, but I, you know, no, I, I, I do. I feel an obligation now. You know, it's an incredible amount of work. It, it eats, it eats away at, at all the fringes of my life. But I, I do love to do it.
0: And talk about the the value that. I'm assuming it brings that value to your life that you were talking about from industry.
2: Yeah. From being
0: industrious.
2: Yeah, and I, and I feel like I, you know, like, y- y- you seem like a curious person, or you're faking it really well right now. Um, I'm actually asleep. I know, I can tell. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a skill I haven't. Uh... No, so, um, like, one thing I was unanticipated is, like, I don't ever sit with anyone in my life. Not even, maybe my husband, like if I've been drinking uh, for longer than a few minutes and have a conversation. Do you know what I mean? Like it's rare in this culture that you sit anywhere and talk to anyone uninterrupted about ideas. You're just texting. I'll see you at seven. What do you want? Is, is there chicken? Why, why is the coffee in the office fucking not, never delicious? You know, what I mean? you're, never, you're never having a real conversation. I, I get to sit down with people for an hour and a half. And talk to them about, like, their dreams and their work. And so I think I get more out of it than they do, probably. So there's that. That just adds, like, a very selfish aspect of value to my own life, which is just I'm a, I get to have these extraordinary experiences. I fall in love with every single one of my podcast guests when I sit down with them. You know what I mean? It's sometimes appropriate, sometimes totally inappropriate. And uh, it's, it's make them feel really uncomfortable. And um, How does it uh, express
0: yourself when it's inappropriate?
2: Oh, I told um, I told Cheyenne Jackson, who's gay, that I had a girl boner for him, <laughs>
0: um,
2: and then he told me he had a girl boner for me, which was awesome. <laughs> uh, I definitely think I sexually harassed Joe Manganiello a little bit. I think it would like it was like if I, if there had been like a psychologist there, there would be like some board. There's some lines, there's yeah. some borders here that are being, um, but yeah, you know, I just.
0: I experienced the same thing, by the way. That right? I- that intimacy I've craved my entire life. Yeah. And when somebody opens up their heart to you, it's it's like the most beautiful gesture that mm-hmm. you can imagine. And mm-hmm. especially when it's somebody that you didn't know very well beforehand. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the feeling I've been looking for. It's a feeling I looked for in my family but didn't know that I was looking for. Right. And so when you find it and it's from a stranger, it's like the the hand of God coming down and and mm-hmm. hugging you or I guess mm-hmm. high fiving you yeah high
2: fiving or like maybe like dapping yeah, or something sure and 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 I I feel also like this incredible gratitude when people are really like present and honest because sometimes they're not and it actually it's been rare because when you get someone alone for longer than fifteen minutes they kind of break down even against their will sometimes you know what I mean but uh, I've only had a couple of guests who I won't name who just kind of stayed. Inside, like Guarded. their shell, yeah, and that's okay. I mean, you, you know, whatever
0: you need to do. To Were they um, high profile?
2: Yeah, I think there. There are a couple people like who I'd really love to interview, who I, I, I won't because I, I, already know, having spoken to them, that they're not people.
0: Yeah,
2: you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, just they're just always. How is
0: Jamie Fox? <laughs> Was I wrong?
2: Uh, no, you were, right. you were wrong, although you were right, but you were wrong. That's not what I was talking about. I was talking about somebody very similar to him. Okay. But yeah, just someone who's like, like, they've spent their whole career cultivating a persona, and now they don't remember how to be a person, and I feel mainly sorry for them. You know what I mean? I, don't, yeah. you know, I, 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 try, I try to avoid feeling
0: contemptuous. It's, it's like they're lost in a house of mirrors, but they think it's like Versailles.
2: Right, ooh, but Versailles is so pretty. Anybody ever built a lot of fucking mirrors in Versailles, man? Yeah. Um yeah, no, you're right. And I and and I I don't know. I mean I think I think in our culture generally, I don't just think in the entertainment business there's a challenge, which is just to try to remain human, you know, and be authentic. And I, don't, I think that all powers, all external powers are pushing everybody, not just people in the entertainment business, but everybody towards inauthenticity all Absolutely. day long. Especially with social media. Yeah, social media has created a culture of hyper-self-aware people who are constantly curating their own experiences and presenting them to the world and, you know, paring away all the sharp edges and making everything look fucking awesome on Instagram and look at my life. Your life doesn't fucking look like that. Fuck you. You know what I mean? Here we are on the beach and look at my sun flare I just had fucking, you know, free-range broccoli. Fuck you. <laughs> You know, none of our lives are like that. None of them. Do you, know? you?
0: Do you have? Can you share any moments where you have felt yourself starting to become that person that you don't like that 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 quality? Becoming show busy and catching yourself. I'm
2: sure that it happens all day long, um, and I I think I as a result I'm probably probably solicitously overly nice to counteract it, Uh, and I think some times people think that that's false as well. Like, why would I be so nice? And I think sometimes they am overly nice because I, I hate the idea that people go away and be like, man, what a cunt, which I'm sure they do all day long. You know what I mean? Just just to make themselves feel better. Um, but I have a hard
0: time picturing that. I, 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 I'm I honestly sure of do. It.
2: I think that there are people who think that, right? I mean, why? You just Just said your it. manager and your agent, well, but other people. Well, just the people that work with me closely and yeah. know me best. Yeah, my husband. Um, every day. What a cunt. Good night, baby. <laughs> um, but... Because that's what people want to know they that's what they like to think of of me, I'm sure you know what i mean I, but and so there's always a battle because, like I was very unpopular as a kid and and really like a very isolated socially
0: i had a i had a feeling about that because you're you're personality and your charm and your sense of humor are so developed. I don't see that in people that were wildly popular No, as, No, because they don't have to try, kids. right? They never yeah. have to try. What, yeah. what, was there like a particular thing about you that... Well, let got, me go down the list. Okay.
2: Uh, uh, my parents were vegetarian, meditating, transcendental meditation hippies. Um, we were poor. I, went, I lived in an all-black neighborhood and went to an all-white school. I've been this tall since I was about nine years old. Uh, and uh, my name is Aisha, which is quite popular now, but I think I was the only person in the world named Aisha in 1977. So um, I was uh, the only black kid in my school and just this giant kid and everybody else had bologna and I had like a brick of tofu and, you know, a brick of tofu and tears to trade, essentially. <laughs> and uh, and I was my parents didn't believe in television, so I read compulsively, like obsessively, to the point where I would like end up at the bus turnaround after dark, and I would
0: look up and I would realize I'd miss my stop by hours. You know it's, what I mean? And um, I missed a flight one time playing Civilization on my laptop right. at the boarding gate. <laughs> <laughs> the entire thing <laughs> boarded in front of me. You no know? idea. Yeah, Cone but I was
2: of white. Noise. I was Persia. You know, I was like, <laughs> I can't
0: blow this. I'm
2: Zoxy. small oh, yeah, down. Actually, absolutely. Yeah. So you know what that's like. And I would read on the back of my father's motorcycle. Um, like I'd put the book on his back and I would get so absorbed that I would start to fall off
0: the bike. Oh my God, and is that so adorable. He, he that like, is... Yeah, oh,
2: adorable and also fucking terrifying. Yeah. So he had a, he built a special harness, a custom harness built so he could like strap me to his back so that I wouldn't fall off the the back of the bike while I was reading the Silmarillion and trying to figure out who begat
0: who. Um, that, that wow. would have been better than the kitten on the hangin' so, there, baby.
2: Yes, exactly. Was, I, and I was a little puffy kitten trying to hold up the Silmarillion. That is so um, adorable. So I just was, you know, just really, really socially isolated, played alone, read alone, you know, and, uh, there, this is leading somewhere. Um, I don't know just about being socially isolated so I didn't so ap- you know, after a while when you realize you're not going to be making a lot of friends you stop trying to make friends and then you stop giving a fuck and so I feel like that's been helpful to me as an adult but it's always in combat with the comedian's natural need to please everybody and natural need to make everybody happy and make everybody love them and that's an, I think an innate aspect of comedian's personalities but you also need to be the kind of comedian who um, gets up there and is brave enough not to give a shit what anybody thinks i think that's what makes you distinctive so i think those two things are always who,
0: well, clearly you had you had an audience that encouraged you because you're so funny you're so nice who 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 was it or what? to
2: encourage me to do stand up
0: N- that that Laughed that gave no, you. No, I just th- think I was
2: like trying to be funny so people didn't beat the shit out of me. You know what I mean? I was just trying. But to But obviously, betray. they clearly
0: they laughed.
2: Uh, you know, I mean, just enough for me to run away. You know, yeah. it was like, like, yeah, I don't. I didn't get into comedy until after college. I was going to be an attorney.
0: What? What was the the dream? Ha, cha, cha. what was the the fantasy in in doing comedy that? that you would get that you wouldn't get doing an attorney? I mean, clearly, you know, you'd be creative. And
2: I think I just needed to do it. I don't think I... I was it the love? It. Was
0: it the craft? Was it both?
2: <sighs> like, I, I remember, f- like, discovering live comedy and being amazed at how, like, extraordinary it was, like, what what an incredible experience it was. And I had watched it on TV, and I remember my dad took me to see, like, live on the Sunset Strip, way, it, way inappropriate age. Like, nine... <laughs> You know what I mean? What's freebasing, daddy? Um, uh, and, but, but until I saw it live, I didn't understand how magical it was. Like, it was a magic
0: thing. And you I, saw the most magical performer ever. I'm
2: sure I saw it like, you know, just like hacky guy number 17 at my college, you know, doing a bit about uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex trying to play the clarinet or something like that. Um, but even bad comedy live is still, it's, trans- it's transporting, it's amazing. And then I remember I went and saw Stephen Wright and then I was like, "Wow! Like, there's a math to this, and there's an art to this. and It's so delicate and thoughtful, and it's it's a really intellectual pursuit, which I had never understood before. And that was when I wanted to be a comedian. Um, but I, but it, you know, I didn't do it until after I had a degree. I'm very pragmatic. I was like, after I get my degree, I can try it because I can always go back to having a real job, and um, and I'll just try it. And I try because I'm very much like we talked about fear the other night, right? And uh, like for me. I wrote it like the opening to my book is about how I was never afraid and what I realized was that I've always been afraid but I, like, I'm like i like a fear attacker so I run towards the thing that's most terrifying to me so I was like I'm just gonna so I'll try anything so I just like I'm gonna try it and see and wh- it's probably gonna go terribly and then however whatever happens after that we'll figure it out and I did it and I got like literally like a moderate like a serviceable ambivalent titter um, from probably like a waiter or something was like, please let it be over, and um, and then that was it. But just one laugh was all it took. You know what I mean. And then it's a compulsion. You know, it's not like a, I've decided to become a comedian. It's like I figured out who I am, and that I think those are. You know, and then you then you just keep doing it, really against your will and better judgment. You know, I just. I can't, I can't remember the number of times I stood like literally in hysterics in the middle of my house going, why did I pick this fucked up job? Why did I do this to you? You know, my husband's like, what do I do? you need drugs? What do I do to make this stop? You know, just because, you know, just there, it's just years of misery, just years of abject misery, you know, punctuated by brief moments of joy.
0: Do you remember the first joke that you were proud of that worked solidly? It was last Tuesday. And,
2: um, <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, I guess so. I did a bit about uh, my, my, my husband. I've been with him since we were kids, so uh, like mid- sophomore year of, of college. So I did a bit about him, about his family. It's not a very good joke, but at the time I loved it. About his family meeting me and realizing that their like nice, sweet, Irish Catholic son was going to marry a six-foot-tall black, comedian from San Francisco and, uh, and that, that's about how many laughs I got on that joke um, and uh, I'm sure I did it better when it was a bit but uh, you know just like what that what that realization was and then how they eventually came around to feeling like I, like my husband and I had the best marriage out of you know in their family um, mainly because we're so fucking weird like who, nobody gives a shit right you know like look at those what, freaks what, out there
0: what drew you to your husband huge dick <laughs> which is unusual for the Irish Catholics by the way easy now <laughs> hitting close to home
2: um he's he's extraordinarily kind he's like the
0: kindest person i know yeah and does that do you like that because you feel seen or it feels safe, or both. I
2: think probably all of those things. And um, he's like the exact opposite of me. Like he's really thoughtful and considered, not just considerate, but like considered. Like he thinks about things before he does them. And I just am like, why am I on fire? Like every day. <laughs> I don't understand why. Why is why is it burning? I don't. Like a minute ago, I was just sitting there, and now flesh is peeling back from my bones. Um, so yeah, and he's the guy who's like so there's uh, an open flame. Did you? And I'm like, wait, what? Like that's every day. He's like moving like hot things away and like, you know, like taking blades. Like his whole life is just removing sharp edges out of my periphery. So,
0: yeah. And the decision to, to not have kids, which I'm on the same page with, Mm -hmm. and thank God my wife and I have never had a disagreement about it. Mm -hmm. Neither of us have ever really wanted it. Um, Was that something that you both came to an agreement early on about? Was it, was there an arc to it? Um,
2: there's definitely an arc, yeah. Uh, well, I never wanted kids when I was younger. I was working, you know, really hard and I love working. And uh, kids come out of your vagina, which I find really creepy and weird. Um, it's like completely stretch out the works. And, uh, and I, I just felt like I wasn't ready. And I wasn't, I don't, I find, sorry, I'm gonna offend everybody. I find the urge to reproduce like a really selfish urge. It's a natural human urge. Uh, yes, one person who hates babies can clap. Um, it's a human urge, and it's a natural urge, and I understand it, but I find it to be very selfish. And I used to really hate when people would say to me, you're being selfish because you're not having kids. I was like, no, you're selfish because your fucking genes are so awesome they want to spread them all over the fucking planet. That's selfish. That's like really self-involved. So there was that that I felt like there were too many people here. I'm a big hippie and I think the earth is full of human beings and there's probably plenty already. So so for a long time it was that. You know, I just was busy and I liked my work and I didn't want to make another person. And then recently and I also had never had any stability in my life, right? Like I was always traveling and stuff and also like most of my career I haven't had any money. Like I've just been in abject panic for most of my career. So then we fi- probably were in a position where we were kind of stable, and then we thought about having kids, and then it turned out I had run out of road. So, um, now I can't, even if I want to. Which, uh, you, know that, you know... Saved by the bell! <laughs> and you know that for sure? I am confident in that conclusion, absolutely. I mean, unless, I, you know, no. I mean, like, a miracle could happen, but I'm not chasing it, really. Okay. Yeah, and I and I also don't have that thing where, I mean, it was funny when, I, when we kind of figured it out, um... Like, that was shocking and a little upsetting, but it wasn't like I was like, well, it was happening to me. I mean, it's happening to me because I didn't try to get pregnant for the first 40 years of my life. If I really wanted a baby, I would have made one at 25. Um, and then when it was like, oh, this might be a good time to try it, it was too late. And uh, I don't... If, like, there's a set of scales, on the one side is, like, all of the... All of the good... Like, all of the enjoyment I've gotten out of what I've done so far in my life, and I feel very grateful for all that stuff. And on the other side is, whoops, I... Forgot to have a baby. But, um, but I'm not, you know, I, I've been laughing because I talked about it on my daytime show. And then, and then so many people wrote in. And I, I, I talked about it because I wanted a lot of people out there, male and female, to know that it's okay to actively decide not to have a child. I feel like people make you feel guilty. They make you feel like you're not a good person. They especially make you feel like you're not a woman if you decide not to have kids. And um, my husband and I were, like, into the concept of AVF instead of going through the process. And I was like, this sucks. And I don't want to do this to my body, and I don't want to spend a bunch of money on something that's probably not going to happen. I think it's a it's for me it feels like a waste, and um, and I think a lot of people out there do this thing where they're just chasing science, you know, and they spend like three or four hundred thousand dollars on six or ten years of their lives, and they don't get pregnant. And I just it just felt like a like a crazy wheel to me. So we got off of it, and I talked about it because I wanted other women and other families to say we've decided not to do this and that's okay because what happens is you say i'm going to stop doing ivf and then someone goes don't stop i had 14 miscarriages before i got pregnant and you're like go fuck yourself lady because you know 14 miscarriages is nuts you know what i mean that doesn't that doesn't feel like a good that doesn't feel what
0: (laughs) that's crazy couldn't you have had it both ways, though, to do... Uh, you mean, in, buy a baby in, in, like Madonna? In vitro, yes. and then have the abortion, and then yes, you solve... I've solved all of the problems.
2: <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> oh, you're a terrible cat. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> and as the baby comes out, look at it and go, psych.
2: Say, whoops! <laughs> <laughs> I've changed my mind, suddenly. So, um, yeah, so, and I just, uh, I wanted, I feel like the choice to remain child-free is like a super valid choice, and I, and I want other people to feel like that's a valid choice to make.
0: I think too many people have kids because they're afraid to not have kids.
2: Yes, yes. You know what? Too many people have kids, so they think, well, I have got anything to do on the weekends. You know what I mean? Like, literally, people are like, ah, I was bored. That's not a reason to make a person. You know what I mean? To make a person that you are guaranteed to fuck up. There's no way to raise a child and not fuck it up completely, um, so don't do it if you just kind of feel like, man, it might, might be cool to go to the farmers market with a stroller. <laughs> <laughs> fuck! Borrow somebody else's children for that, you know? So, um, yeah. So, yeah. Now we don't have kids, and uh, and uh, and quite honestly, it was that was awesome for like the first uh, 18 years of our marriage, and then it was uh, like a source of anxiety and happiness and sadness and a lot of other feelings for a couple years and now it's back to being just fine.
0: Amongst, uh, in, inside you or Yeah, him like, you know, I don't know, you have
2: that thing where you just think, like, am I making a mistake? What happens? Am I going to die alone with nobody to wipe up my shit? You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Which, by the way, that's really what having kids is all about. Having somebody to wipe up your shit when you're dying. That is, I, I'm sorry it sounds macabre, but that is, that is why people have children. They don't realize that's why they have children, but it's either to work your farm or to wipe your shit when you're dying. Those are the only two reasons that people have children. And I, and I never it is or to like dress up a tiny person. You know what I mean? Wouldn't it be awesome to have a little doll that talks? That's why people do it. And I think that raising children is incredible. And and if you're, good, if you're a good person and you want to make more good people that are going to bring good things into the world, that's a great reason to have kids. But I feel like people don't examine it enough. They don't think about it enough. They, they just want to have a little cute baby. Or they're trying to save their marriage. Or they forgot how condoms work. <laughs> and I, think it, I just think people should think about it way harder. Way harder about what it means. Not, not like I'm going to have a baby, but what I'm going to have a 13-year-old. I'm going to have a 17-year-old. I'm going to have a 28-year-old who's a dick to me. You know what I mean, yeah. and then, who's then on drugs who's on, and rolls yeah, their the eyes eye and, yeah. and takes the money I give them and fucking wastes it on whores, um, which is not always a waste of money. Um, <laughs> but the only time I've ever regretted regretted it or thought about it was really seriously was when my husband's mother died, and um, and her and her whole you know her all her children were around her when she died, and I thought, honestly, this is why you have kids, so that when you leave the earth you are keenly aware of the fact that you're loved. You know? So if you're not... Could you see ha- the beauty in that? Yeah, I thought it was very beautiful. And I, I was... Re- I felt very honored to be there when she passed away and really grateful for that. And I'm stoked she had kids because one of them turned out awesome and I fuck him on a regular basis. <laughs> she did a superlative job with that one. Um, and uh, and so I'm grateful for the people that do it. Um, but I just... I. You know, I just think, like, there, New York Times did this article recently, and this woman, like, asked the people, why did you have kids? And the number of people who wrote it and said, I did, and I wish I hadn't. And other people wrote it and said, um, I didn't want to, then I did, and it was an incredible experience I'm really grateful for. Like, I feel like there's a multitude of, of emotions about, you know, being a parent that people don't acknowledge. And um, I think there's a lot of ways to bring good things into the world besides making it a human being. That will, without a doubt, resent you and break your heart.
0: I think making a nap is a great making way. Making a nap. <laughs>
2: it's making, the world's baby. Making a desk. Are you a furniture maker?
0: I am. How'd
2: you know that? We talked about it on Mark's show, and oh, we did. Talked about how you were, you were, you were, you were riddled with anxiety about your furniture That's not right. being perfect. Yeah. But I, I, think that perfection in art, as I said the other day, isn't an, isn't an impossibility.
0: I like what you said. Could you could you reiterate it for? our our listeners, your idea about making art and the impulse to make it perfect and then shutting down.
2: Right. So we were talking about, like, this crippling internal voice that tells artists that whatever they're doing isn't going to be good enough and tends to result in artists not creating. And I was saying that um, the problem is that it isn't going to be perfect. And if you can't push past that fear you'll never make anything and so for me my philosophy has been to make every single thing i'm curious or interested in with the stipulation that some of it's not going to be good and also with the understanding that you only learn from your failures and not from your successes and a good set never made anybody funny good sets make you an asshole good sets make you gloat and drop the mic and go follow that bitches that doesn't make you funny you know but when you bomb You go and reconsider every aspect, every choice, everything you've done up to that point, and you get better. And it's the same thing with art, with any other art form, that you go and just make it, and then look at what you didn't like about it, and then make it again, and then look at what you didn't like about that, and you make it again. And then, you know, that 10th effort will be superlative. And you can't get to the 10th effort without the first effort. Success is indivisible from failure. Indivisible. Success is not the absence of failure. It's persistence through failure. That is the essence of it.
0: That was beautiful. And I can I can follow that advice in my stand-up, but I have trouble with it in woodworking because then I'm wasting wood. And the environmentalist in yes. me is like, Fuck I hippie. feel like I just cut a cow up and then threw it in the garbage.
2: Delicious. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so I, I guess I need to get to yeah. a place where I can be okay with that tree not being honored, right. but that's honestly how I feel or, about...
2: But look at, like, well, I think that's fair, but then look at, like, somebody... I'm trying to think of someone who's done hundreds of sketches, like, like, hold down, or something. Like, he did thousands and thousands of shitty sketches. Or Picasso, and his like, 30 versions of the same painting until he got to the one that ends up being in the Louvre. Like, you can't get there from here. You must. You must not. You must not just accept that failure will come. You must pursue failure wildly. Pursue it wildly. Aggressively. Wow. And then just... See what happens.
0: I've succeeded then. <laughs> I have, I'm 50 and I'm in a hotel closet. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. We,
2: I was worried that we were going to run out of time. Let's see how we are on time. And fears. I have no idea what's happening.
0: Um, why don't we move to... Um, why don't we open it up to some questions, and then we'll close it out with um, some fears and loves? And are we missing any any seminal moments from your no, life? Oh no,
2: I, I made eggs this morning without cracking a yolk, and I have to tell you something. That was a big fucking moment for me. Yeah. <laughs> I I I my, my thing now in my 40s is to um, like really be like super present, like super present all the time, and uh, like be human and like feel shit. I, I hate feelings um, so and so I like literally every Sunday I make eggs and every Sunday I break one yolk out of five and it makes me fucking bananas my husband has three I have two and um, and today I made I, I cracked five eggs I'll break a yolk and I was like you know small let, yeah I know there's a war in Syria but look at these eggs
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let it small victories over.
2: small victories man small victories
0: <laughs> yeah sometimes I feel like seeing the beauty in the if not the failure, the pain is has been one of the biggest gifts I've I've discovered. You know, I had this moment uh, about six years ago where I was newly sober and um, I had broken my ankle and I had screws in it and it was killing me. And I'm laying on the bathroom floor with the stomach flu. It's coming out of both ends. And the phone rings and my dad has died. Oh.
3: And I'm like, it,
0: it, but I went to this place of the universe doesn't hate you. It's strengthening you. It's the, and you will get through this in this wave of peace and I don't know joy, but just kind of acceptance. And and I was like, if I can feel okay in this moment. Mm-hmm. I can feel okay anywhere. And I remember making the trip back uh, to Chicago for the funeral and saying, I'm just going to look for the beauty in this. I'm not going to focus on the pain. And I remember packing, and I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but I remember packing, and because my leg was in a cast, I went, I only have to pack one shoe. (laughs) And it just bringing me so much <laughs> pleasure that I could see that. And then I got wheeled through the airport. And I was like, this is kind of beautiful. Yeah. If I can just try to find this every day in moments of my life that feel on the outside like they're a shitty hand, mm-hmm. um, I think I can, I can get through this.
2: That's beautiful. And I also yeah. think that um, that there's something... Freeing in realizing that something really liberating in realizing that um, like that's just the nature of being here is that uh, it's you're a speck and it's going to fly by and a big part of it's going to hurt you know and then it's not such a shock when it does right that's just the, it, there's no div- again there's no dividing human existence from pain or fear it's just it's it is absolutely the nature of being alive and it's easy to, easier to say yeah. than it is to live through but, um, but like, you know, I have some, have some friends who have gotten sober, really close friends who have gotten sober, new, or newly sober, like, in the last couple of years. And, you know, you go through a lot of, like, why me, and why this, and blah, blah, and you just realize, like, you're human, and you fucked up, and now we're just going to fucking clean up and keep going, right? Like, this is just, this is the deal. There's only one way out of here. It's forward.
0: Just keep getting up. Yeah. Just keep yeah. getting up and, and dusting day. yourself off. Yes.
2: when you wake up and you feel pukey and terrified, just stand up. Go into the kitchen and make yourself some delicious coffee. Yeah. Which I, really is the governing aspect of my entire yeah. day, all day long. That's all I can think about. You
0: know, I used to think that safety for me meant becoming exceptional, getting attention for that, and then I would be okay. And, and I never understood why, when I was trying to separate myself from everybody, I felt so alone. Mm hmm. <laughs> And then, when I got sober and saw that I was one of many, and even though I am special, I'm not a big deal, mm-hmm. uh, I realized the beauty of feeling one of many mm-hmm. and feeling my ego dissolve and feel connected to other people and I realize that is what brings me closer to other people mm-hmm. that is what takes away that feeling of mm-hmm. of being alone and it's been a real epiphany uh, for me to so anybody that is out there that feels like you know if I can just be brilliant in my pursuits that's going to be the answer it's mm-hmm. it's it's such a it's such a dead end mm-hmm. and uh, it's so wonderful to wallow in mediocrity it, yes it's, it really
2: is um, so comforting so comforting
0: <laughs> so let's uh, open it up to any questions that uh, that you guys might have. Um, don't don't be afraid. Um, you want to come up to the microphone because we're recording this, and um, it would be easier for the you listeners. You can come to, too. You can
2: you can queue. yeah. You can line you up if you if you'd like.
0: I like using the word queue because it's more. Yeah. Hi Craig. Hi Aisha. Sure? Uh-huh. And uh, just give us your name and where you're from. My name is Scott. I am from Ontario, California. Hi. Local. I have a question. You say you are you were raised by a single father.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, when your parents separated, did you maintain a relationship with your mom and your younger sibling?
2: Yes, I did. I did. Um, and I'm still very close. Well, um, I was always very close to my mom. And she was incredible all through my childhood. Like really there for me. Even though now um, I found as an adult that she was struggling with depression for a good part of my childhood. I didn't know that. She was a uh, superlative mother and really available. Um, my sister hated me and i hated her in kind and um because everyone was i was like super type a and she was second kid and they were like why can't you be more like your sister and she was like fuck all y'all um and but now my sister and i are like literally like lesbian lovers on every level but the sex. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. so fucking in love with her. Like, she's all I think about. Um, I shouldn't have said that where my husband could hurt it. Um, uh, but but um, so, yes, yeah, so I was very lucky. You know, my, my parents, like, they would say they made a lot of mistakes, but the thing that I always tell both of them was that I felt loved. I never didn't feel loved my whole childhood. And that's really, I think, the... The only stipulating factor, just if your kid feels loved, the, uh, you can work all the rest of that shit out. And um, so, I'm still very close with both of them. Unfortunately, I will say that my sister and my father are not as close as I would like them to be. Um, they are not at odds, but this—I wish that they were. I wish that they were more. I think my father doesn't know how to fix what I think my sister feels was like an like an unacceptable absence during a part of her childhood. He could only think. He could only do one of us, you know what I mean, like properly. I think he didn't have the bandwidth for two. So, um, but they're trying. So I don't think that it's like they're in, there's a cataclysmic thing. I just think they're just not as connected as, as I'd like. Yeah, thanks Thank for asking. Hi. Dartmouth guy with yeah. excellent
1: hair. hi. Uh, oh, thank you.
2: Uh,
1: I'm Angel. I'm originally from Miami, but I just moved here from New York three weeks ago I'm in sorry. order to pursue that failure. All right, um,
2: here it comes.
1: But uh, as a fellow Dartmouth grad, you know, when, uh, I'm, I'm I'm three years out of Dartmouth, mm-hmm. and, and I know like I'm trying to pursue comedy, and I often get just seized with these moments of just pure regret like i just wasted four years Mm -hmm. at an incredibly great school where people are going off to do things like politics and actually but but it's like (laughs) but you you describe moments where you were where you were seized by like hysterics about Mm -hmm. like trying to pursue comedy Mm -hmm. like how how, did you did you ever get seized by those same moments of regret and how'd you power through it
2: yes definitely um Definitely, But I'll tell you, like, in that moment was this interesting duality. Because I was like, why did I pick such a hard job? Why did I pick such a hard life for myself? But the answer is in the question. It's because you didn't want to take the easy road. Right. That's, that's the answer. You know what I mean? So every time I would consider, like, why didn't I just pick something easier? I mean... <laughs> That's not, who, that's not what I want out of my life is an easy path. So if what you've chosen for yourself is difficult, you're just going to have to accept that it's difficult and realize that you're going to hit moments of, of, like, of, of deep regret. Um, but in that regret, ask yourself, is this what I want to do? And if it is, then you just have to accept that this path is difficult. And one nice thing about it is if you're open as an artist, if you're open... You know i 'm not where I thought I would be when I was twenty five at all in any way in some ways i 've exceeded my expectations in other ways i 've utterly fallen below them you know, but I was open minded and i i I always wanted to learn and i I looked at opportunity I looked at openings as opportunities and there 's always an opportunity to learn in this business and someone asked me recently if there were any non learning situations i said they 're only non learning people <laughs> so you know just be open and be aggressive and um, realize that probably the way that you think it's going to go down is not the way that it's going to go down. Um, and that's okay. Just keep making art and keep pushing yourself to be the, the best artist that you can. And that also means sometimes really, really sucking very badly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, again, that's just inherent in, um, in artistic leaps is that you're going to fall. Right. Uh, just keep going. And um, and also just feel good about the fact that you're way smarter than all the other comedians. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And and, and sometimes you will never know what your dream job is until it falls in your lap. And you'll be like, oh, my God, I love this. I could have never predicted that I would be doing this. I had an epiphany when I was getting ready to um, apply to med schools in college where I pictured myself at 30 getting cancer. And I thought, how will I feel? Will I I feel that I've lived my life to the fullest? And I said, no, I I, I won't. And I changed my major to theater. And now I wish I had cancer. (laughs)
2: And you know why? Because you get like two or three hours of great material out
0: of it. Um. Thank you for your thank question. you. Yeah, thank yeah.
3: you.
0: Let's go to uh, a fear off and the love off. Would uh, those of you that want to exchange uh, fears with Aisha uh, line up? I know there's got to be some here.
2: Someone standing up. Yay. It's very exciting.
0: He's getting applause from another room. That's how yeah. popular he is. Yeah. Uh, my name's Tim
1: uh, Originally I'm from Eastern Washington But I moved to L.A. Going on three years ago
0: Welcome
2: and,
1: Welcome And uh, my fear is that We've irrevocably Crashed the environment And over the next 50 years We're going to have The worst uh, disasters In human
2: civilization
0: That's just common sense
2: Yeah pretty much <laughs> I, I'd love to say something To make you feel better But I yeah. totally agree Yeah, yeah. I have yeah. the same I think fear. we're fucked Alright thanks for the validation <laughs> <laughs> I really do think we're fucked I, yeah. I, I, t- I, t- I kind of I, kinda, I used to be really idealistic about the environment My undergraduate degree is in environmental policy And, um, and, uh, and I drive an electric car And I compost And all that fucking hippie bullshit And, uh, and I, I, it's too late I think it's too late And I don't really know how to feel about that You know what I mean I don't know I don't know That's probably another reason why I was always ambivalent about having kids Are we exchanging fears? We are
0: So then uh, i write mine down Sure
2: What are they? You know, I don't. I most of the day, I, I I don't feel, so I have to remember what my feelings are by writing them down. Um, and
0: ironically, you're going to an app. I them. do. I
2: am going into an app that I did not fucking create. Um, <laughs> where is it? Oh, it has to sync. I wrote it. I up. want to see
0: some other people. Yeah, let's line hear another. Up too. Let's hear
2: another fear or love. Come yeah, on up yeah. here while I look up. While I look up All how right. I feel All about right.
0: life. Uh, I'm actually strangely still very scared of nuclear war. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because mostly from playing uh, Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> <laughs> I know Aisha especially appreciates that.
2: Oh, this is great. Okay, so first of all, are you also are you also like... Are, do you love snakes that turn into cans of food? Yes, <laughs> yes, very much so. Wouldn't that be credit that happened in real life? <laughs> oh, the snake, I shot it, now oh, it's yeah, a can of beans. Cut it with a knife
0: and he turned right. into a box. Yes, I would love that.
2: My fears seem to not want to download. Um, uh, oh, here we go. Yeah. So... Um, Yeah, so I played a lot of Fallout. And so I am hyper focused, yeah, right, my, the best. So I'm hyper focused on like end of days preparation. That's like a big. That takes up a big part of my like of my mental energy when I'm when I'm not working. Is like, do we have enough food and water in the house? You know what I mean? How like what's the shelf? Is there life a focus? perimeter? Yes. Well, there's. I, I'm. I my my property is defendable, but it's not ideal. You know what I mean? Like I'm 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 planning on moving to a compound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh. Yeah. Like I look at like in and egress points. I think about that a lot. And I also honestly don't think a fear of the end of the world is that. Like, look, the world has ended hundreds of times already. It ended in Rwanda. It ended in, in New Orleans. It's ending now in Syria. The world's already ended for a lot of people. You know, that feeling, the end of days, the cops aren't coming. My family has been cut to pieces. I have no food. That's happening all over the world. Um, and I think that the, the kind of the arrogance that it couldn't happen here is... Um, it's just, it's it's naive, isn't it? So, uh, like a culminating end, I don't know, but like a, a periodic way, end, I think that could happen.
0: And you should never sing happy birthday at TGI Fridays.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Children's birthdays. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Oh,
0: um, first of all, I fear being recorded. Um,
2: Sweet. Right uh, you could step look closer, step closer it. to the uh,
1: microphone. Oh, okay.
0: Um, my fear is, is that I'm going to keep pursuing artistic interests and never find out which one I'm actually good or passionate about. You'll never know it except doing it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. but I totally get that one.
2: My fear is that I'm going to run out of ideas.
0: That I'm going to wake up one day and
2: I'm going to just be out of juice. Dude with awesome hat. Oh, thank you. Um,
0: Is your question going to be ska related? (laughs) (laughs) Zoot,
2: Zoot, Brian, Brian! Okay, go. I, I make skull wood carving, so you're you that's get a awesome. you get a figurative no, kiss on the that's, mouth, buddy. That's called joke. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I loved awesome it. Joke. I thought it was artistic yeah. and subtle. Okay, onto the heavy stuff. Okay. Um,
3: I'm just a little afraid, bit closer to the mic,
2: if you would.
0: Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm afraid that I'm gonna uh, that I'm going to fuck up my marriage the same way my dad did through uh, selfishness and, and self centeredness.
2: Period? Yeah. yeah. You're brave. Thanks for saying that out yeah. loud. That's Thank you for that one. Awesome. That was really brave.
0: And I think the fact that you're aware of that is a good sign. Yes. A really good yes. sign. You're married. I am.
2: How long have you been married?
0: Uh, we've been living together since 1988 and we've been uh, married since 1995. Rock and roll, long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm,
2: I'm married. I've been with my husband since 1989 and uh, married since 1994. So, um, the, the I have a piece of, this is not a, a fear exchange. Where did Guy and Hat go? It's right here. Oh. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, Guy and Hat, whose face I cannot see anymore. Um, first of all, I think the thing that you said, Paul, was that, yeah, that you, the fact that you're aware of it is very important. That you don't want to fuck it up. I used to think that. I used to think that was like my father. You know, because I mean, I think one of the reasons my parents broke up is that, you know, people were fucking around. <laughs> I think that was part of it, you know. And, um, and I used to worry that like, I might end up, that might be the end of my marriage, that I might do that and ruin my marriage. And the fact that you're thinking about it and you're concerned about it, I think is really important. Because I think people who are not self-aware are the ones that do things to damage their lives without seeing what they're doing. Um, but marriage is super hard. It's super hard. So the fact that it feels hard is okay, because it's hard. I think people hit a hard spot in their marriage and think there's something wrong with me or my marriage. When in reality, marriage is fucking hard. And it just stays hard until one of you expires and is released sweetly from the bonds of (laughs) fucking your mortal coil. Um, (laughs) Thank God, sweet, sweet release. So um, I think that a big part of what's kept me married is being honest and being able to be really um, like letting – him be human and him letting me be human. I don't accept perfection. I don't. I don't expect perfection
0: out of him. That's nothing as a marriage killer. No. Like trying to change your partner. No, like he just gets to be
2: the duty is, and I don't. I don't. He. And that's it. Like he. Like he literally doesn't have to change at all for me. Mm. And him, he's been nice enough to let me be that way as well. And I feel like if there are things you need out of your marriage that you're not getting, you need to articulate them because either you say them out loud and you figure it out, or one of you is fucking furious until you blow the marriage up. You know what I mean? Um, but you know. staying staying faithful to the same person for your whole life, man, that's like a fucking math problem that nobody is able to solve. It's like the hardest fucking thing. It's like a Rubik's Cube. You can pick it up and put it down, pick it up and put it down. How the fuck does this work? And and nobody, you know... Nobody ever really gets it right, and that doesn't mean people don't stay faithful their whole lives, but it doesn't mean they don't think about it every motherfucking day. Yeah. So, um, you know, anybody who's expecting you to never think about it and never look at other people and never yeah. consider what it might be like to have sex with another person it has an unrealistic expectation about what a marriage is. A yeah. marriage should be your best friend who lets you be yourself and lets you be your best self and your worst self and, um, you know, doesn't get mad at you when you fart in bed.
0: Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Next, next. Question. Did we? Did we do your fear? No. no What's I your to exchange next exchange fear? of fear? Yeah.
2: Fuck. Well, I said the one about failing to get everything done that I want to do before I die. Right. That's yeah. that's a big one. That's probably like the biggest one. Oh, and the other one I really it's, uh, uh, is not following through. Like I hate. I'm, I'm like a, like if I start a book, I have to finish it, even if it's a terrible book. Mm-hmm. And that's a metaphor for my whole life. Like I like start no finish is
0: like the number one thing I just I abhor. Hey, hi. <laughs> and, we're, uh, and we're running short on time, I don't even know. so let's, okay, well, he- no, 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 no. I was just going to say no. let's um, just bounce them back and forth uh, yeah. if we if, if yeah. we can. Okay, well, I w- <laughs> to bring it.
1: I guess, uh, a little farther out. I just realized that growing up as a kid, I was such a big sci-fi geek, but now I'm so... I realize I could never actually go into space if I ever had the chance Mm because I'm so afraid of dying Mm -hmm. in complete silence. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Like, like It's just just that fear of like, oh my God, if the future actually comes here, I could never actually confront it because dying in space is so frightening, Mm -hmm. especially now that gravity came out. Mm -hmm. Uh,
3: mm
0: -hmm. Drop acid and get into a sensory deprivation tank. Mm. (laughs) Your next one?
2: Um, I I have a really highly developed uh, germophobia, super OCD, hand washer, surface cleaner. I've I've actually put disinfectant in my mouth before. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Delicious. It's just alcohol, you pussies.
0: Uh.
3: (laughs) Aisha. um,
0: This is Mo, by the way, who is the king of the forum, who helps the podcast so much. Can we give him a round of applause? He lightens my load beyond compare. He allows me to just let the forum do its thing and turn over all the worry. So I just want to thank you publicly.
3: That's oh, nice. Thank, you, thank yeah. you. More along the lines of the, the ska dude uh, with a little more heavier fear. Uh, I'm, no longer, <laughs> I'm no longer suicidal, but I, I really am afraid that I'll never get to a place where I'll stop being... Uh, ambivalent about being alive it's like i can take it or i can leave it uh because of um, anxiety
2: yeah yeah Thank that's a really that's good you go. uh, i think that's, that's pretty
0: common too
2: yeah i think that you should not feel alone like that i think most people most people are confronted with an ambivalence about life yeah very brave have, of you to say it out loud.
0: I have many days of is this all there is? Yeah, yeah. and
2: many days of what is this going to amount to anything?
0: Yeah, and that's why Mo's so good in the forum.
2: Yeah, you know, you know and and yeah. you know, your parents made this decision for you, right? They put you here. None of us decided to be here. It's a decision you make every day once you're here, right? So you have to make it for yourself every day. He loves you, and you add value to his life. So that's enough. That's enough of a reason, right? Nah, he's oh, like, ah, no, a good. you do. Kind of, a little bit. Let's a do uh, bit. one
0: more of yours, and one one more uh, of a of a listener. Oh, I don't just
2: get to co-sign everybody else's fears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll exchange with you. Go ahead. You have beautiful hair. I have, oh, I have, thank you. I live in constant fear of not having as nice hair as you do. So <laughs> that's that. Uh, okay. It's good. all right. It's Okay. <laughs>
1: uh, I have a fear. I don't know. This is more of a pragmatic thing, but I have a fear that. Um, as a person who was born kind of like after 19, uh, 1987, okay, that... Okay, stop
2: talking, go away. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead.
1: Go ahead. Uh, my generation is kind of like more like a, like a Gladwellian, Malcolm Gladwellian mm-hmm. thing, but like me and everyone in my generation isn't gonna be able to focus for more than five minutes on any given thing mm-hmm. because
0: I can't do that. You know, you can't really like kind of ever focus. Mm-hmm. Like focus is a really uh, big thing. You problem. know what I, I suggest is one, once a day, go to a coffee shop you like um, maybe with a friend or meet people there and just sit down, turn your phones off and, and talk masturbate. to each other. Oh, <laughs> that wasn't what you were going to say? That wasn't it? That wasn't and Talk oh, to sorry. each other for an hour. Yeah. And uh, that, that help, helps me. But then again, I was born in 1963. Right. So. Uh,
2: one fear that I had for a long time was that like I would die with things unsaid. But I think I've resolved that fear because I just say everything to everybody. <laughs> you know, and I wake up every day and I go, so if I die today, like, is there somebody who doesn't know something that they need to know? And then if there
0: is, I tell them right away. That was a good one. Thank you. Right. So, thank you. Let's thank you. Yeah. Let's go to uh let's go to some loves. Who who has some loves that uh, oh, please don't tell me this is a loveless room. <laughs> Seth yes, coming back uh, up. Yeah. Uh, I love video games.
2: Yeah. Been playing them
0: for twenty six years, I will never stop. Cosign, yeah.
2: never apologize. Never never apologize. Okay. <laughs> I just cosign that love. Absolutely. Yeah. I love uh, like extreme expressions of um, of like, of mundane things. So like, I'm on a, I'm on a diet all the time because I work in this fucking idiotic business. So, um, so I, my husband and I went to this ice cream store uh, in Portland called Salt and Straw, and uh, we stood in line, and then we got a double scoop waffle cones, and then we ate them in the store, and then we got back in line, and then we got another double scoop, yes. food, and we ate that shit in the store, and then I said. Fuck you, society! And then we went, and then we rode away on our bicycles. It was uh, the best.
0: That's awesome. The best, yeah.
2: So I like ice cream. Apparently, that was my love. That was one of okay. my. Life. I love yeah. ice cream.
0: Uh, my name is Ron. Um,
2: my love is just a simple hug. Oh, you big sweet. That's Italian. great.
0: I can't believe that we've never had that one in the two and a half years. Ron, you're adorable. A simple hug. Yeah. Ron and I waited for our food the other night for an hour. <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, I like. I, I really love books. I love reading. God, I'm a nerd. Do you and have your favorite I, book. Uh I love post apocalyptic fiction specifically. Did you like The Road? I loved The Road. I love Cormac McCarthy. I just read Blood Meridian, not uh, post apocalyptic, but it's own kind of apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um a really really difficult wonderful book. And um
0: Not um, enough description of sagebrush.
2: No, could, could, how many how many words are there for rocks? Apparently Holy all of them. all of the ro- words are about rocks. Yeah. Uh and um and uh oh god and I love like I loved uh, I just read Zone 1, and God, after, oh, the Reapers are the angels. Oh, I'm just all, a zombie fiction, just all, when shit's going down, I'm ready for the fucking end. That's what I want to say. <laughs> I am prepared for the end, yes.
1: Yeah. I love that I haven't had a panic attack since I started medication.
2: Yay! And I love... Thanks.
1: And I love the sweet sense satisfaction when I get an unassisted like headshot in a sniper video game. Oh, very
2: nicely Ooh. done, lady. Fine. <laughs> do you ever? Do you, yeah, so yeah. you ever feel a little badly? you like, like, like. I get so ambivalent about it. I'm like, I shoot, like, so I get like a. Not between. in Borderlands too, because everyone responds. So you're not really killing them. Oh, okay, you good. Just mow them all down. It's oh, they they fall and then they go. Sorry, thanks for not yeah, everyone me. comes back like you do. So it's like. Oh, I you can see. feel okay oh, good. Killing that way. Okay, good. That's yeah. nice. It's yeah. Fun. That's good. Yes, I w- excellent.
0: I will even sometimes, if it's been a while, I will just turn to a teammate and shoot them in the head. Oh, the best! The best. Computer generated, not not. Yeah. not. I
2: like I like multiplayer when your friends are in the room. So then, after you kill them, you just turn to them and go ah,
0: because
2: <laughs> it's, it's better without the headset, right? Like when yeah. they can feel your breath on their face. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Like the
2: laughter of your mockery, like touching their skin. That's I love right.
0: an, in in uh, Ghost Recon when you get an awesome uh, silenced. Rifle and a perfect hiding spot, and you oh, just pick people nice. off one by one.
2: I like it in uh, in Halo multiplayer when you get a gravity hammer. Hmm. There's nothing better than just, and then you're just running around the map, literally. I have a, like cackling, and you always know who has it because whoever has it is cackling hysterically, <laughs> while everyone else goes, "What the? What? Who? When? Why? What? Where? Who? Why?" They'll turn to Bugs Bunny trying to get. It. Yeah, <laughs> just, just that's my favorite. Gravity hammer is my favorite. Any yeah. any any energy weapon, but gravity hammer specifically.
1: Uh, I love cosmic horror stories, especially by the writer Thomas Ligotti, because it makes my, uh, it makes my problems feel like nothing against the vastness of the universe. That, That's so beautiful. beautifully
2: put. And I swear I thought you were gonna say cosmic horrors. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> what you said was much more elegant and beautiful. Yeah, that was nice. Thank um, I love coffee. <laughs> I love coffee like a person. And I said, the other night when we were together, I said, and I, this is a true story, I was, I was at the beach with my husband's family, and I said to my husband, I can't wait to go to bed so that I can get up in the morning and drink coffee. <laughs> and I, like, I think about it like all night, I'm like, and then in eight short hours, coffee! I love it so much. And I drink way too much of it, but I've cut out all of my other vices, like I stopped drinking and I stopped doing all the other fun things. And so now coffee is like the only thing in my life. So that's kind of just turned into a sad thing, didn't it? Okay, yeah. Yeah,
1: it was nice. Um, I'm going to co-sign the video game one first. Yes. And then um, I also love uh,
0: Kurt Vonnegut books. Oh yes, you yes. do, you adorable person. I got to h- hear him speak uh, at my university when I was in college, and it was so amazing. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yes. I love, uh, well, I love gardening. I have a garden, and I grow, because when I was young, like we were never so poor that, like, we didn't eat. But, we, like, you know, there was, like, you didn't get snacks. Like, there was lunch and then there was dinner. You know what I mean? There was no, like, let's see what's in the fridge. And so uh, I, ho- I was a food hoarder for a long time. I, I still hoard food a little bit, but I'm working on that. Like, I, now I'll go and clear all the food out and give it away every three months to a food bank. But I used to really hoard food that I was never going to eat. Um, so and we grow a bunch of food now, and so um, I love that. Like I we mm. grow tomatoes, and I just bring these huge bowls of tomatoes in, and then my husband and I have this game where we where we eat the tomatoes, and we go, "Man, these taste just like tomatoes from this store."
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It, they're almost like real tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and then I, I I like to grow stuff, and then I like to 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 pickle it. I like to do some stuff that's like uniquely Caucasian, you know, just like <laughs> I made pickles. I I put I put up some pickles the other day. Fuck yeah, <laughs> Betty Crocker bitches.
0: I love walking out to our garden and getting peppers and tomatoes and uh, and basil and making an omelet.
2: And then making shit, right? Like right after like it's real food. Like it could have come from the store, right? And and
0: knowing that it couldn't be any more nutritious than it is at that moment. Organic. There's still some bugs on it.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love that due to this show I have somebody that I can tell my fears to every day. And they validate it.
0: Oh that's That's so beautiful.
2: This is an an, an uh, like a painfully adorable group of people. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody here deserves a hug. Yeah. Even especially a guy who loves hugs.
0: I do. Hug I'm a I fucking guy. Love hugs. You know,
2: too. I hug everybody. I'm a really una- inappropriate hugger. And like, I hug my lawyer and stuff. And he's like, why is this happening? <laughs> it's like, so this is not the currency of business. Why are you touching my body? Um, hi, lady who loves Mass Effect. I do love Mass Effect. <laughs> but I was going to say that I love being a girl that likes video
1: games, Star Wars, and Star Trek, and action movies, and all the other things that aren't really girly.
2: And I love being that Yay, kind of person. I totally co sign those That's a great loves. one. Yeah. I love that.
0: Thank you. Yeah. And let's let's do Susan's, and then we'll we'll, we'll end yeah. with your uh, with your last one um, Susan, if you from... could just turn the mic towards yourself a little bit. To... What happened there? Yeah, there we go. I'm
1: picking it up. Um, I'm Susan from Grand Rapids, Michigan.
0: Hi.
1: And um, <clears throat> I play the French horn in a concert band. That's and very cool. I love it. Even though it's not like you can bust out the French horn around the campfire. Right. <laughs> I get more pleasure out of doing this than most things. You get that swell of music and everybody's in tune and it just, it's the best feeling in the world. That's,
2: That's awesome. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Really that. yeah. I love that. It's really wonderful. I love
0: that. What is the Beatles song that has the amazing French horn solo in it? I think it's Penny Lane. Yeah, yeah that yeah. that's beautiful. And did you ever hear the story about that, where um, you know the the soloist just played like this amazing improvisational solo, the one that they kept in it, and uh, and one of the Beatles was like that. That was good. Can we can we try it again? And George Martin just said that was the most magnificent thing that's ever been done. You do not dare ask that person to do that again. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Let's end with your last. Um, one. I
2: had like I had like ten different loves, but uh, but this is the one I think I'm gonna. Uh, put at the end of the i um i love being married and i'll say to to preface this that i am not a like a traditionalist at all i didn't think i would get married i thought i would be like i'm going to be a businesswoman and then at 50 i'll take a lover you know uh, i never thought that i would get married um and i i think that um marriage is very very difficult i think fewer people should get married many fewer people should get married people should wait longer to get married Hmm. Uh, because it's very, very challenging. But what it's been for me is um, a safe place to be the worst parts of me, like the to express the, the the worst and the pettiest and the weakest and the smallest parts of me. But it's also something that makes me try to be my best self all the time. I think that's why people are so hyper-aware of their feelings in marriage because hopefully what your, your marriage is forcing you to do is to try to be a better person than you are Uh, and it's been this incredible kind of like lifelong meditation of like how to be a better person and how to be a kinder person and how to be a more accepting person Uh, not just of my husband but of myself Uh, and uh, and no marriage is perfect but what I find is that um, it's this thing that the longer you have it It's, I don't know, it's like an old baseball mitt, right? It just gets Mm -hmm. better and better and better. It looks like shit, right? It looks like, your old baseball mitt looks like somebody took a dump in it, but it just feels good on your hand, and that's my marriage. It looks like someone took a dump in it, but it feels good on my (laughs) hand. (laughs)
0: What a great, what a great note to close on. Many, many thanks to uh, to Aisha Tyler. Um, Really enjoyed uh, having her as a guest. And, uh, yeah, go check her uh, her podcast out um, she needs more listeners. Um, before I uh, take it out with some surveys, I um, wanted to uh, let you guys know that there's a couple of different ways that you can support the show. Um, you can do it financially by going to the website, mentalpod.com, making either a one-time PayPal donation or a recurring monthly donation, which is, uh, as you know, my favorite. gives uh, the show a little bit of financial stability to keep uh to keep operating and um um and brings a nice warm jolt to my heart jolt couldn't have been worse i couldn't have picked a worse word to describe a nice warm glow to my heart not going to go back not going to rewind moving forward um you can also support the show by using our Amazon search portal when you buy something through Amazon, and that way they give us a couple of nickels. Doesn't cost you anything, and you can support us financially by going to iTunes and uh, giving us a good rating and write something nice about the show and uh, spreading the word through social media. That really, really helps bring more listeners in. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to share this with you, with you guys. Um, I just came from a, a support group meeting about an hour ago, and it's my favorite. It's m- my Thursday night uh, group, and I just love it. I love the. It's a men's only meeting, and I just love the men there. They're they're um, they're like my family. And there was this guy who has been. Uh, he's a homeless guy who hangs around there sometimes. He doesn't he doesn't come in, but he has in the past, and he's caused trouble and cursed at people and thrown coffee in people's faces. And um, so there was a restraining order against him. And I got there tonight and he was outside yelling at, at people, um, you know, calling them faggots and witches and this and that. And uh, somebody was trying to call the police. And, and I walked past him and I walked in and sat down and I made some snide joke about this guy to um, the people that were in there. And, and like 30 seconds later, I was like, why did I, why, why did I say that? You know, I do a podcast about mental illness. It's like one of the most important subjects in the world to me. Every week I try to get people to have more compassion for all the battles that we have in our heads. And here I am making fun of a guy that is clearly mentally ill. And I guess it just highlights to me how easy it is for us to be misunderstood, you know, that I can take it as an attack, that this guy is attacking us and the safety. I think also I felt like this that room to me is like the safest place on earth. That and my my other Wednesday night meeting are like the two safest rooms on the planet to me. And I guess I felt threatened like he was... He was threatening that thing that has, that place that has saved my life. And um, I suppose I reacted out of that, but that I couldn't in that moment see that this was his sickness and not him. And um, so I just thought I'd share that with you guys. Um, getting to the surveys. First of all, I want to send a hug out to uh, uh, somebody who filled out a survey. It's It was a little too long for me to read tonight because um, we're a little bit pressed for time. Um, But her name is Anastasia, and uh, her survey really, really touched me. Uh, She filled out a shame and secret survey, and I just want to send her some love. This is from the shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself anonymous. He's uh, straight. uh, He qualifies, not really sure, mostly straight. He's in his 20s, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional, uh, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, Deepest, darkest thoughts. I think about death a lot. Sometimes I'll walk on the street and we'll have to fight a slight urge to jump out onto the street or jump from a high place. I fantasize about having sex with close close friends, mostly female, uh, but once a male friend. Um, I'm too afraid to act on it because I believe I would lose them as a friend forever. Um, Deepest Darkest Secrets, I was abused by the son of my babysitter as a kid. I made out with a male cousin when I was four. I purposefully sabotaged my college career because I don't deserve it. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I often fantasize about having sex with vulnerable people, people I have power over and I can control, where I can be completely safe in sex, even at the expense of my partner. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? Never. Uh, do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? I hate myself for having them. I feel like a narcissistic piece of shit. Um, sending you a hug. Sending you a big hug. You are not a narcissistic piece of shit. Um, I, hope, I hope you're talking to somebody about that abuse that, that happened to you. It, that can leave all kinds of... That trauma stays inside us if we don't talk to somebody. Um, This is an email I wanted to read from a listener named Julia and she writes, "Uh, I want to thank you for your recent guest, and she's talking about Christina Jasberg, who openly discussed her self-abuse or, quote, cutting, as is the more trendy term. I began abusing myself at around 14 years old. The first time was with a protractor I took with me to the school bathroom after being bullied by a girl in my class. For years, I couldn't put an explanation to why I did these things. I felt that rather than cutting myself to, quote, release the pain, I was punishing myself for whatever misery I went through that day. I not only used knives, but hard things to bruise myself with, and I even slapped and punched myself in the head in self-disgust and frustration. After coming home from a bad day at work where I'd made a mistake and angered my boss, I would punish myself thinking that I was, quote, helping them out. Feeling like a piece of shit only validated my actions. What better treatment did a piece of shit like me deserve? Um, At 38 years old, I'd like to say that I've turned to new hobbies, but unfortunately that old feeling still comes up once in a while. These days, though, I mainly feel the need to release the pressure. If comfort can be used in such a topic as this, then it comforts me to know that there are others out there who go through the same trauma. I hope, too, that someday it will be Uh, seen not as an attention getter but a cry for help. I myself take great pains to hide my scars and make sure that no one knows about them not in fear of what people will think of me but what pain it will cause them. Thank you for that, Julia. Um, I get so, I learn so much about the issues that that people have that I don't have um, through your letters and your your surveys and, and the interviews. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by A woman who calls herself Jenny, she's uh, bisexual, and the ads, I just don't know. She's in her 20s, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional, never been sexually abused, deepest, darkest thoughts. For years, I kept myself completely in the dark about being attracted to women. Now that I've finally been able to admit this to myself and I'm trying to explore and embrace it, I find myself filled with negative feelings for still being attracted to men. People have told me that it's fine and that no one will judge me for being bisexual, but that's a load of bullshit. I know many gay women think bi women are trashy, straight experimenters and think we should just fool around with other bi women and not bother them or come into their queer spaces. I'm worried that they're right, and I will play around with women and then go marry a man and fulfill every negative stereotype of the wishy-washy, cowardly bi woman. I wish I was either totally gay or totally straight so that I wouldn't have these feelings. Well, I can tell you that you are not alone in wishing that you fit into a neatly defined one or the other, Um, and most people aren't, you know, or at least a large percentage of people uh, don't, and so I hope you know you're not alone with that. Um, Deepest, darkest secrets, many times I've been on a date with a guy who I totally didn't care about or connect with, and then just went along with sex because I wasn't sure how to put the brakes on. I would emphasize that none of these experiences were against my will and the guys weren't bad guys. They uh, just—they didn't make me do anything. They just initiated sexual activity and I went along with it. But honestly, if some of them had asked me, do you want to keep doing it? I would have said no. I can't figure out how to talk about this to anyone. It makes me feel like a weak, foolish person. Like through my passivity, I victimized myself. I think a support group would be a great place. Uh, and therapy to learn how to put those sentences together. I uh, just want to read an excerpt from uh, of this from Shame and Secrets filled out by um, a woman who calls herself Layla. She's straight and in her 20s and uh, ever been the victim, victim of sexual abuse. She says some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts it was the blurry lines of being drunk and being consenting it was my two guy friends and they fought over me and i was so drunk that i at one point was crying about something unrelated i remember i just wanted to get away from them but they wouldn't let me i felt like they took advantage of me in my drunken state the two things that's, that that stick out to me in that sentence are they wouldn't i wanted to get away from them but they wouldn't let me that sounds coercive and the fact that you feel like they took advantage of you. You know, that's those are two huge things. And I would go talk to somebody about that. I should have like a button I press um, that just has my voice saying, I would go talk to somebody about that. Uh, This is the same survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Horny Beppe or Horn Beppe. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. H-O-R-N-E-B-E-P-P-E. He's straight in his 30s. Uh, raised in a stable and se- stable and safe environment, never been sexually abused, deepest, darkest thoughts, I don't want to live anymore, um, and uh, I want to fuck your face about very good friends of mine and almost any attractive girl I see. Uh, deepest, darkest secrets, not being faithful, having sex with my brother's ex, stealing small stuff from work, doing drugs, eating McDonald's hamburgers while telling people I don't eat meat. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you, um, dominating beautiful girls, almost to the point of raping them, but never against their will. Basically, the stuff you see on the more hardcore internet porn, having sex with female friends in relationships. And by the way, the thing about uh, the eating McDonald's hamburgers and telling people that you don't eat meat, I don't know if, if lying is uh, uh, a chronic issue with you or not, but anybody out there that struggles with lying... Um, There's a great episode of this show uh, with a guest uh, named Mark Tyke, who uh, is really honest and open about his struggles in the past with that. His last name is spelled T-E-I-C-H, so um, I I advise listening to that. Um, Would you ever consider telling a partner, close friend? I don't know what I would win by doing so. I'm afraid of what they would think of me. Well, I would say if it's the right friend, you would win um, a bond of trust and vulnerability uh, between you and that person and when feeling understood and loved and accepted, um, if it's if that's a safe person. Did these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? Frustration and insecurity. I'm having trouble in my relationships because I'm a nice person, but sexually my fantasies are quite aggressive. These two do not combine very well in my head. Um, whenever I really start to love someone, the sexual tension starts to focus on other people. I don't have to bond with. I think that's really. Um, I think that's really common. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Really into somebody till they're into you, and then you can't be present in the bedroom. This is a very rarely uh, filled out survey called the vacation arguments, and we got a really cool batch of of people filling these out. Because um, I've always found something just inherently comedic about couples arguing on vacation or families arguing on vacation. This was filled out by uh, John, who is uh, 47. He writes, In 2012, we were celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary and decided to spend the weekend at the newly renovated uh, Moana Kia Beach Resort. Uh, We got to the resort, and the first day and night was perfect. Romantic, beautiful, upgraded ocean front room, champagne on arrival, massage treatments, and great sex that night and the next morning. When we woke up, we spent the early morning on the beach and started drinking Mai Tais by 11 a.m. That's that's usually the first red flag. We were drunk before noon. How could that go wrong? Uh, We went back up to the room and had a great sex session. Um, Returned to the beach and back to our lounge chairs, and I go swimming and paddle boarding. My wife is smoking hot at 51 years old, very sexy, and I'm pretty good for age 46. I get back to our chairs, put my sunglasses on to start to relax. I'm putting on suntan lotion on my wife, And then on myself, when I notice a very sexy mid-twenties-ish girl strolling on the beach in front of us. She was also nearby when I was swimming. No sooner had I noticed her, she starts walking back towards the hotel, directly towards me, and passes about five feet from my chair and smiles, and I'm checking her out all the way. My wife then turns to me and says, why don't you just rape her already? I'm like, what? I was just looking, and I'm sorry, but you got to admit she was hot, and that was... Uh, And what was she thinking anyway by walking so close to us? Besides, she's not the only hot babe on this beach. You are the only other one here as far as I can see. She replies, yeah, right. Fuck you, pig gets up, leaves in a huff, and goes back to the room, and I'm chasing her tail. This incident turns into World War III, and she spends the rest of the afternoon, evening, and into the night not sleeping, and we are fighting, yelling, cursing, threatening divorce. She wants to leave immediately and basically turning a mountain out of a molehill. We leave early the next morning and make the one and a half hour drive back home in silence. As soon as we get into our driveway, she unloads again. I'm fucking going crazy, and at this point, I'm cool with the idea of a divorce, because this shit makes no sense, and it's manic. We take at least a week to smooth it over, but that disaster lingers, and I don't think she will ever want to stay at the Moana Kia again. Thank you for that, John. This is a survey, a shame and secret survey, filled out by a woman who calls herself Lost in All Chaos. She's straight in her 20s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, was uh, the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, Deepest, darkest thoughts. I want my mother to feel the pain she put me through. I would beat her till she was to the point of death, but continue to let her live and do this off and on for several days. I would call her all the nastiest names I could think and make her feel like she was less than the dirt under my shoe. Make her scream in pain. I have a bully coworker that I wish would be killed viciously, uh, maimed by horses she takes care of, just to rid the world of her nasty advances to other co-workers and her stupid, ignorant comments concerning people with mental illness like myself. I am nowhere near a violent person, but these thoughts flash through my mind, like I would give in to my sickness and go on a killing rampage and all the people incredibly disrespectful to me. Good thing these are just thoughts. Deepest, Darkest Secrets. When I was a young girl, I remember walking up to my father, waking up to my father, wanting to clean my vagina. He told me I needed to keep this clean, uh, then progressed to clean my younger than six private area. Uh, When I was at the age of 10, I remember my brother and I trying to do sexual acts. We knew babies happened when you had sex vaginally, so we tried anal. It didn't work, thank God, but I remember getting that far. Um, As I read this couldn't help but think to myself, what are your feelings towards your, your father? Because that, you know, unless he had a, you know, a, a hygiene reason, you know, like if you pooped your pants or something, I can't understand why he would have done that. And, um, I just wonder what, what you feel towards, towards him. Um, I don't know. And I hope you're talking to somebody about that because it's that that stuff that we can't go oh i was clearly raped or i was clearly this that's the stuff that really fucks with us um sexual fantasy is most powerful to you um and this might be a little triggering to somebody uh some people because it's it's a little bit intense um people email me sometimes and, and suggest that i do trigger warnings but i feel like i would be doing them every five minutes um Sexual fantasy is most powerful to her. I would like to be a part of a gangbang, several men taking advantage of every surface of my body, coming inside of me, choking me, and slapping my ass, fucking me so hard I scream, and pleasure. I would like to have men that are bisexual fucking each other and fucking me, both men and I sharing sexual pleasure and not caring about which sex, uh, where no control is lost or gained, just freely loving each other's bodies and orgasms that would be so completely fulfilling. Um... Would you ever consider telling a partner close friend? I don't think I would mention it, only to be accused as a freak and no longer wanted. If it wasn't seriously, if it wasn't seriously, serious, possibly, but at the age where I don't want to settle for a fling or fuck buddy, I'm sorry, sometimes uh, this print is so hard and I'm 100 years old. Um, and I apologize for apologizing <laughs> i swear to god i'm working on it and look that's an apology again sweet mother of god i'm in an apology spiral um i'm getting better though i'm i'm not saying that to you i'm saying that to myself as a point of pride um and i thank you guys for helping me um see how apologetic i can be um Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? I'm amazed by how dark my thoughts can be. My secrets will never be said out loud. I don't want to relive what I can already envision in my mind when I write it down. And then she has some really, really sweet comments about the podcast. Um, And I just, my heart just goes out to her because I feel like, oh my God, you are so hard on yourself. You're so at war with yourself. And I think a therapist could really, really help you see how your being abandoned as a child is related to to all of this and the things that you're fantasizing about that are bringing you shame. And at least that's my, that's my two cents. I'm not an expert, but I did cook chicken to a John Hughes movie a couple of times this is from the shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself dwarf on coke love the name he's in his 20s uh straight uh he qualifies i consider myself straight but i appreciate malattractiveness and there are even a few men that i would sleep with um he's never been sexually abused it was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional did i mention he's in his 20s i think i did Uh, Deepest, darkest thoughts. I'm ashamed to think about how differently my life would be if I had been raped or seriously abused as a child. I also worry about my sexual well-being because my wife is the only person I have ever slept with or may ever sleep with. I would never cheat and don't see myself reaching a level of comfort to be in a situation where my wife and I would do sexual things with another person. Deepest, darkest secrets. I've been extremely violent towards the people I love in the past. I have bit and hit my wife. I punched my mother in the face. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Singing is the most sexual thing that I could ever do with my body. The idea of passionately pushing my voice loud, clear, and powerfully to millions of people, whether on a stage or through some other medium, internet, film, etc., is the one True image I keep coming back to. I suffer from paralyzing stage fright when it comes to singing because it is a very sexual act for me. It's like a woman showing off her breasts. I consider sex to be a private act, and yet singing is so very public. So I don't sing much, but I have had years of vocal lessons so that I can achieve the loud, powerful, operatic tone that I want. This is going to sound facetious, but I have an obsession with musical theater the way others have an obsession with pornography. I watch musicals privately in my home and jerk off, not even around my wife. This creates extreme frustration in me because I so want to be open and public with singing, and yet I cannot. Um, Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? I'm pretty sure my wife knows about it, but nobody else, never uh, do these secrets and thoughts generate a particular feelings towards yourself? Yes, I worry that I will lead a life unsatisfied. Um oh, sending you a big hug. You sound like such a sweet person and I don't see why, you know, I can understand why you would be ashamed of this, but it's nothing to be ashamed about. It's, man, we, you know, like Greg Barrett says in the end of this, we are all beautifully, fucked up and not that you're fucked up but we're all you know we all have our thing man we all have our thing and that's your thing and that doesn't make it any better or worse than anybody else's and uh fucking hoist your flag up and fly it that's what i say and um for the record i fucking hate musical theater and i hate musicals and i just took a big shit on what you love how's that grab you hmm how you like that actually a little shop of horrors i love but um, I, wished, I wish I loved musical theater because je- you know what it is? I'm jealous of people that can throw themselves into it because I can never lose myself in it. And I feel like I'm just standing outside a plex- plexiglass window going, how did they get so happy? What, what did they do in their lives that, that the laughter and the smile come so readily to them? I think that's why I put, put a, took a big dump on your musical theater love. But uh, I personally think you should share that with your wife or somebody. I'm going to wind it up with two happy moment surveys. The first one is, is bittersweet, filled out by Joanna. And she writes, the first happy thing I can remember was sitting between my mom and dad late, late at night when they were talking, probably about breaking up. I'm not sure. But I knew at that moment I was their favorite. Out of five kids they had, I knew they both had me as their favorite. I think about it often and wonder what was being said. I was too young to understand, maybe four or five. I knew everyone else was sleeping. I knew they were both sober, not drunk. It was pretty dark because no one had turned the lights on, but mostly they were just sitting there in silence. They argued a lot, and I felt good at that moment because there wasn't any loud voices, just love. I felt loved, as a child should feel. Somehow in my heart, um, I knew they would probably break up. I loved my parents deep in my heart, It was the same, it was the last time I have ever been together with them in the same room, on the same couch, feeling the ultimate love from the two people who should teach me about love. I thought that was really beautiful and honest. And I think I love bittersweet stuff too, because I think I'm afraid of stuff slipping into being maudlin or insincere. Um, I think it's also why I love the Beatles so much, because there, there was always that, you know, John brought that darkness, and Paul brought that optimism, and it was just always such a good tension between, between the two. Uh, and finally, uh, from the Happy Moments survey filled out by Gabby, uh, she writes, Once in high school, one of my friends wanted to tell the group a funny story that had happened to her the weekend before. When she went to tell the story, she started cracking up so much that she couldn't get the words out, and it got to the point where she was completely mute with laughter at her own story that she hadn't even started yet. And so I started laughing, and then the next person in the group started, and suddenly an entire group of five people were laughing so hard, tears were streaming down our faces, and nobody had even said a thing. We never did find out what was so funny about her weekend, and it didn't really matter in the end. That day, I ended up Making a far that day uh, ended up making a far better story. I love that I love those moments that is just bliss. well, thank you guys for listening, especially um, any new listeners that we that we have um, if you want to listen to other episodes, I encourage you to go to the website and um, there is a list of uh, the voter, the uh, listeners voted on their favorite episodes from 2011 and from 2012. Um, you can find that, uh, I believe, somewhere somewhere on the website. Um, but if you're curious and you can't find it, email me at mentalpod at gmail.com. I'd be happy to, to give you that list. Thank you, Ayesha Tyler. Thank you guys um, for helping be part of this community. And uh, I hope after listening to this, you know that you are not alone and there is hope. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is
2: bizarrely everybody I know weird is bizarrely, beautifully beautifully up I know weird is bizarrely fucked up you. in some weird way. Bizarrely
3: beautifully fucked up in some weird way.